Welcome to our second podcast in the Courageous Conversations series. I'm very excited to have Sherry Storer on the line to talk to us this morning. Sherry, as a lot of you would know, has reinvented herself and she is a coach, a speaker in the real estate space, but she's got a really interesting background in the industry and what we want to do is talk a little bit about that story and the journey that has led you to where you are right now, Sherry. Good morning. Good morning, Leanne. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Oh, no problem. I think this is a really great topic and it's lovely to have these kind of conversations about, you know, courageous conversations. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your your real estate journey. Where did you start? Yeah, sure. Well, look, I originally started in the industry in 2001 and I started in, in project marketing and my background was actually retail. And so project marketing to me was all about retail real estate. So I absolutely loved it. And, you know, at that time, you know, the market was was fairly buoyant and I was working selling inner city apartments in Brisbane. And that kind of led me on into, you know, starting my own um, agency, which ended up becoming, you know, quite large and, and quite successful. And, you know, I have to say that was a pretty remarkable and amazing time in, in my life. And and what I loved about it is I just loved, you know, working with, you know, team members um, to help grow them both personally and professionally and really change their lives in terms of the amount of income that they were able to make as salespeople. And so during that time, you know, my company, you know, I built up and sold my own rent roll. I had a cleaning division. I had a PR division because we would launch you know, lots of really large projects. We were on site at 10 projects from Cairns all the way down to Byron Bay. And of course, there was a residential division as well. So it, it was quite a large company. It was standalone. As I said, it was making, you know, pretty great money and which gave me a really amazing lifestyle. And, you know, before starting the business, I had also amassed, you know, quite a quite a, a nice healthy property portfolio in the fact that I had you know made a lot of money myself working as a salesperson and had bought really well in a, in a booming market but you know I what comes up must go down and when the GFC hit in 2008 you know it really hit me like a lot of other people particularly hard and you know at the time a lot of the projects that um, that my company was selling um, of the plan were very much you know, coastal properties. So those on the Sunshine Coast or Byron Bay or the Gold Coast or Mission Beach or Cairns. And of course, the first thing that kind of goes is, is everybody's holiday home or desire for one. And so, you know, very quickly, I went from a situation where, you know, we're making a lot of sales to literally nothing overnight. And that compounded with the fact that, you know, I had two developers that owed a really huge sum of money, actually a substantial sum of money that just never paid. Um, and put kind of their their businesses um, protectively into administration left me in a very difficult spot. And after having to put, you know, selling all of my properties and all of my personal wealth, and during this time I'd actually never taken an income from the business, I'd always sunk it back into the company because I loved it so much, it was my baby, um, I, I was forced to, to basically, you know, <laughs> do the same and I had to put my company into administration. I can't even imagine how hard that would have been for you. How did you how did you cope? Look, at the time there wasn't just this that was going on to be honest with you. There was a lot of other things that were happening in my personal life and one of them was the fact that I was actually engaged at the time and I found out that, 
you know, my partner was actually having an affair. Oh, gosh. And then on top of that, all of my friends actually knew about it, but no one really knew how to tell me. So I felt unbelievably embarrassed on a professional front and also on a personal front. Can we just go there for a minute? How would how should they have told you? Yeah, look, I think it's really interesting because, you know, you, you chat with girlfriends and so forth and you talk to some people and say, oh, I wish, you know, XYZ had never told me and their relationship had since been been changed and maybe not the same. Um, however, in our friendship circle, that had happened before and I'd always been quite open about what it was that I wanted. The, the complication was that there was one of our very close friends was also in business with my you know, then, then fiance. So it was, a, I do understand it was a little bit complicated, but I, I truly felt for me, my whole world really changed because I, I honestly felt unconditionally loved by my, by my friends. I felt that they were my family and it really changed how I looked at relationships and life in general. And I think the other thing was that I had some family issues and that my brother is quite actually unwell. And um, and those that know me quite well know that he actually needs to have a liver transplant and he's had a few other operations. And, you know, one time he's been here in Brisbane for eight months, um, you know, where I, I basically have, have gone up and seen him once or twice a day. So, you know, I had all of that also happening on the other side. Plus losing all your money is actually really not fun, Leanne. <laughs> No, I can imagine that to be true. I've I've had a little bit of experience, not to not quite to the same degree as you, but I have had my own experiences in that space. And, and I would have to say, you know, at the time I did wallow for a bit, and I was hugely embarrassed. And I actually think when you're having these moments, you know, in life, and I think you know it's very normal. Things can't be wonderful all the time, and it's one of the things that I really talk about. But, you know, in, in my coaching and also for those that follow me on, on social, but I also think too um, it's actually okay to acknowledge it at the moment when it's happening to, in order to work through it. You can't just pretend like everything's wonderful. We are seasonal. You know, we'll have times where everything's wonderful. We'll have times where, where they're not. And so true. It's just it's not realistic to expect that life is going to be good all the time. And if it was, you wouldn't realise how good it was because you had nothing to compare and contrast it too. It'd be so boring, right? So, it would. <laughs> so look, you know, for me at this at this particular time, it was very difficult, but I, I did have, you know, some moments of feeling, you know, pretty ordinary because I really, you know, wasn't enjoying life at the time as one could, could imagine. It was pretty horrible. Well, exactly. I mean, every, everything's fallen apart all at once. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, mentally, I, there's a lot of things from this time where I just don't remember it. My body was just in, in survival mode, as was my brain. And, you know, basically, after a period of time, I kind of, you know, pulled myself together and and started to, you know, started to, to think about what life could, could be. And I think it's, it's in those moments. And I think sometimes you really need to hit rock bottom in order to sort of pull yourself together. For me, that moment was actually when I realised that no one else was really there to rescue me and that it needed to come from within. And so there was a very clearly a choice, keep doing what you're doing, let it get worse, or alternatively, <laughs> acknowledge it, work through it and actually get better. And so that was the decision that I that I made. And I think it was in a real moment of, of clarity where it was like, you know, <laughs> there's there's no Prince Charming, there's, there's no one else. And I remember... You know, somebody's sort of saying to me, Sharon, we're born into this world alone and we die alone, um, which is a very actually negative negative viewpoint. But but it also did give me um, some solace at the time that it was up to me 
and that it was nobody else's responsibility for me to to basically make the best of my life. Exactly. And it's the most important relationship you have in your life is the one you have with yourself because it is the only one that you can be guaranteed on having for your entire life. Totally. Absolutely. So you need to become comfortable with yourself and besties with yourself. So, you know, from there, then I, I basically, you know, went back into um, into selling. And those of you would know that um, most, most people would know that I, I went and took a corporate role and worked out fairly quickly that I probably wasn't a fit there and, and vice versa. Not a corporate chick. Uh, well, I think it wasn't just that in that particular business. And I, I probably don't want to say too much, but but I think that culture at that time probably wasn't also harmonious for, for me in terms of women in the in the industry. So um, so look, basically I, I, I got back on the tools because I knew when I had some heavy soul searching about what I wanted from life. Now, number one, I needed to get back and make some money because I had gone from having a lot to suddenly none. And there were times where certainly, you know, there were $2 in the bank and it, it was horrendous. Um, but, you know, I also knew that I wanted to get my career back on track because my career was something that was very important to me and I had kind of lost that uh, identity. I really didn't know who I was if I wasn't the high-flying sort of real estate agent and the business owner and all of those things. So I knew that that was a very important part of my identity to prove to myself that I could do it. But on top of all of that, I knew that my end game was actually doing what I'm doing now, which is coaching and helping to work with others and to mentor them. And it's something that I've always done right throughout my career, even when I was working in retail, was really, you know, training um, training salespeople. So um, so essentially, you know, I got back on the, the tools and started selling and I had to learn basically how to sell all over again because this was now 2011. And the last time that I sold was in 2004, which was boom times. And now we're in 2011 in Brisbane, which was the year of the floods. And, and people were still really not spending any money. And we had over 33,000 you know, properties on the market and no one was really buying. It was very So I had to really learn my skill set from, from, from day one as opposed to being an order taker to really being a highly skilled professional. And, you know, after doing this for a period of, of five years that I made the move across to, to McGrath, and then, and of course, I was doing coaching and so forth on the side. And I think, you know, it was this period for me where I really, you know, rebuilt up my financial security. I really worked out what I wanted from life and, you know, and I built built teams and, and really leveraged them in order to, to build the life that I wanted and to really focus on that end game, which was for me doing exactly what I'm doing now, which is empowering others to do the same. So during that time, obviously, we all, all of us that follow you on social know that you married your gorgeous husband not very long ago. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, beautiful. Gorgeous, gorgeous moment. You know, just taking a back step there, the one thing that I would say before I married, you know, um, my husband is, you know, I was actually single for 10 years. And, um, you know, it was actually kind of like a bit of a running joke with my clients. But the reality was that I still felt a bit broken on the inside. And I remember even, you know, how I was fixing that for some time was I was spending a lot of money on clothes and all these exterior things. I'm trying to make myself feel better. And it was only really after doing the heavy soul searching that I kind of was in a place to really be in a relationship. And, and I was lucky enough to meet my gorgeous husband. Um, we met on Tinder. So there is there is hope for those online. <laughs> there is hope. That's awesome. <laughs> but it was interesting because during that time when I was working as an agent, you know, I always knew that my end game was actually to be uh, on my, in my personal life was to be a mother. 
And I always have wanted to be a mother. And in fact, I actually always wanted to have four children. But I also knew that I couldn't be a great mother until I had actually fixed myself internally and my heart and my soul and, and really rescued myself fully. And so, you know, I was... I was just thinking, look, when I'm 40 is when I'll have children. And I remember being 38 and being told, you've got plenty of time, Sherry, don't worry about it. And I actually always thought I'd be a single mother, actually. Um, my mum my mom was a single mum. So I was never scared about doing that. That was just the way that it was going to be for me. Um, so it actually was quite confronting when I did meet somebody. I was like, this is not the plan. This is not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, you know, and so I think... For us, um, and originally um, Jason didn't want to have, have a family, so it was quite an interesting dynamic actually. But by the time we we decided that we were ready to have, have a family, it really became very, very clear because I, I actually um, went to a doctor after a friend of mine, and this was when I was 37, when a friend of mine said, look, Sherry, um, I've just gone um, to go freeze my eggs. And a few people had sort of said this to me previously, and I was hideously offended because I felt young beyond my years. Um, and I didn't think that I needed to go and do this. And I actually was re- was really deeply mortally offended, actually. Really? Yeah, absolutely. How, how interesting. Because you do feel young at, at, at 35 is where your, um, your reproductive life starts to go decline. Um, and we are really young at 35, right? But we're told as, you know, as women in society that essentially you don't, you know, you can have a career, you can have all of these things, go chase the career and then go have a family kind of thing. And that was what I was doing. Um, so I didn't think that anything was going to be different for me than what it is for everybody else. This is what I've seen lots of people go and do. And so I guess, you know, I went along to my doctor, the specialist, and, and inquired about freezing freezing my, my eggs. Well, actually, first of all, doing the test to see if I ever needed to. And he's like, Sherry, you need, you need to, to do this immediately. Wow, that must have been confronting. It actually was. I think the confronting part was the fact that he told me that I may never be able to have children. And I had literally been seeing Jason at this time for maybe maybe a couple of, maybe three months max, maybe not even that. Um, and here I was just thinking, oh, I'm just having a really nice time with this guy and I'm going to tell him that, hey, guess what, buddy? <laughs> I'm going to go and do this crazy thing. He didn't really want to have children, so it would have been a really um, a really confronting conversation, I would have thought. It really was. And, look, I wasn't asking for him to have children with me. I was just telling him, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing because uh, I've been used to making decisions for myself for a long time and, and really had felt that n- nobody was going to influence me anyway. I was actually thinking it was going to be the goodbye of, of, of what we'd sort of started. Um, but, you know, the beautiful man that he is, he said, look, you need to do this. You, you're actually meant to be a mum, which was the most beautiful thing that he could have said. And, you know, I so hence I went on and I started freezing my eggs. But that moment in the doctor's you know, um, surgery, the specialist, it was it was the first time ever that I had kind of thought, oh, my God, I may not actually be able to have children. And so he sort of told me what the normal range was for women at, at that time, which um, which I think was about on, on this particular test, it's around 25, and my score came in at 1.8. Oh, heavens. Okay. So, yeah, and I, I didn't really understand the full magnitude of that because it, it was just so much to take in in that, that one meeting. So I basically, you know, froze my eggs and I did it a couple of times and sort of put them on, on hold and then, you know, basically just got back to life thinking, well, there's my, there's my backup, 
and you know I can still keep working and and enjoying my relationship and when I'm ready to have children I will be able to do so however <laughs> life has not quite worked out in that way and you know for the first time in, in in my life normally I can sort of talk my myself around things and yes there's been tough things that have happened as we've just discussed you know for me in my in my personal life plus in my professional life but I mean actually fundamental life-changing things while we're put on this earth and for me that's been to be a mother to actually be trying to have children now for three years and doing a lot of IVF cycles and not becoming pregnant not even one for a number of different reasons is absolutely soul shattering and it really makes you think about okay well you know, not only does it does it question your your wife and your partnership partnership because you want to make sure that the person who you desperately love in life that he gets all the things that he wants. And by this time, Jason had actually decided he he actually very strongly wanted to have children. And then all of a sudden, I may not be able to give this to him. So it does bring up those conversations. But I, I just wish that I probably was more open to talking to other career women about this conversation because I feel it's a conversation that's not really out there, Leanne. I agree with you. And that was why I was keen to talk about it with you today because, as I said, it's not a conversation that I can have with very many people, yet I know that it's going to resonate with a lot of people that are going to listen to it. For quite some time, actually, I was very secretive about the whole thing and, you know, particularly working as an agent too, like you don't want other people to know that you're trying to get pregnant because your competition will be saying certain things out there. Um, you know, so that was that was topic number one, but also it was hugely private, you know, issue that you're dealing with. So trying to discuss it on a more public level when you're still trying to work out how you feel and, and process all of those emotions is something in itself. But, you know, the one thing that I have really learned through this process and the one thing that, I, you know, I would really love to communicate is that, you know, you could go and, and certainly freeze your eggs. But it is not going to be guaranteed that you are going to fall pregnant, even with IVF. And we've spent a lot of money, obviously, doing this. But it's not a guarantee. And it's not a backup plan. And, you know, if you are wanting to have a very strong career in this industry, and we have decisions to make as women, whether whether it be that you have a family younger or whether you have a family older, but, you know, the one thing that I would say is, you know, to, to look at perhaps freezing your eggs at an earlier stage because you never know how you're going to feel later on in life. And so you want the quality of those eggs to be really, really great. But then also you need to be realistic to the fact that even if you do that, there's no guarantee that in actual fact you're still going to have that family. So I also think, you know, the idea of a family, you know, starts to look a bit different. And we, we see that more and more and we see, you know, adoption is is something that is not, you know, I believe that there are only 32 children that were adopted in Australia last year. You know, so it starts to make you think about, okay, well, surrogacy and, and certain other things. And, and you know, that's also a process which, to be honest, I'm still working through about my comfort levels, how I feel about that. Um, I always just wanted to personally carry. But I, I just really, I guess, want other women to, to know, and particularly, you know, younger, younger women, that it's actually okay if you do want to have a family, number one. And it's actually okay to think about doing this at, at an earlier stage if you want to do that. Because I think in this conversation, Leanne, you know, we, you and I, we, we love to talk about, you know, what we can do to really lift up women and, and certainly into management roles and other positions in the industry. 
But you know, sometimes when when a woman um, decides to have a family, that kind of that particular dream needs to go on hold while they're doing you know the the family thing, or vice or vice versa. So you know, it, it does raise a lot of other questions and a lot of other topics, which which are confronting. <laughs> and everyone has a different stance on this, but it is a nice topic to talk about to actually say, hey, listen have a think about what's right for you. That's exactly right because it is all about your own decisions and your own choices but just be informed and don't be naive and just assume that everything's going to be okay because we we do live in a an Instagram world and we do see celebrities having babies at you know in their late 40s even their early 50s you know but they don't come out and say that it was an IVF journey or that it was a um, you know somebody else's egg or or whatever they don't actually share some of the really important points about it. So I'm so pleased that you were happy to to share this with us today. (laughs) No problem at all. No problem. And so how do you actually have those conversations with yourself? How do you actually move from what can be a really negative and I guess depressing thought? How do you actually come back to a positive way of thinking? Like everything, whether it be this or whatever it might be in life, and it just happens that this is something that is probably most particularly sad, but there are other journeys in life such as illness of, of family and friends and, and perhaps your own illness, which which can be you know quite changing to, to how you feel about life and, um, and your life in particular. But I, I really think it comes down to, to having some time for self-reflection and asking yourself the hard questions in terms of, you know, just as I had done previously, you know, where to from here? And it's actually okay to take some time out to really process, um, you know, that, as I mentioned, you know, I'm still taking time to process, you know, whether surrogacy will be a fit for us. I, I, I don't know at this point, you know, there's pros and there's cons, but I think you need to be realistic about it and actually, you know, be analytical about your current circumstance okay and accept it for what it is um, I think that that's that's absolutely vital and I think you know even when I'm doing coaching now with my one-on-one clients you know the first part is sitting down and doing a due diligence on their business looking at you know what's great what's not so great where we want to go to where we currently are where we have been you know things that we want to work on things that we don't and I, I think you know <laughs> I take I, I take the same approach in my own in my own personal life as as to business that I really have a think about, okay, well, this is this is what we want the outcome to be. This is where we currently are. This is where we have been. And, you know, those mindset sh- shifts may not necessarily happen overnight, but it is important to make those moves forward because essentially, you know, um, you know, we, we could choose not to make any decision and the decision will be made for us. Exactly <laughs> <By> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly so, right. And, you know, we see this with so many agents at the same time too that, you know, they don't really change any of their behaviours and so they keep having the same year after year after year. Yeah, so I think, you know, it doesn't matter what it is in life or, or what industry you're in, but I think that this is this is just how life is um, and how really to overcome um, a situation and to really think about how you can move forward is to is to understand it, process it, and then, okay, look at look at the options. Yeah, that's really good advice. We've actually been talking in the office this week about about feedback and how some people really use feedback to take their performance and their results to the next level and how other people just get so defensive and at times even aggressive about any kind of suggestion that everything they're doing is not perfect. 
And it's just not realistic, is it? Because we're not always doing things to the best of our ability 24-7. It's just not realistic to think that we can. And so we need to be a little bit more open in thinking about how we can improve. So it's an interesting conversation. I don't disagree. I think one of the big things is, um, however, that it's sometimes how we learn to, to communicate, you know, from, from growing up essentially, you know, how we've been cultivated in our own family circumstances. And it's only, you know, after actually realising that you might be defensive um, to then actually saying, okay, I want to change that behaviour. And, and mentally, you know, it's, it, it's very exhausting when you are making mental changes because you, you literally have to think, okay, let's rewind that circumstance. How did I behave there? How did I act? Did I actually listen what was going on? Um, and, you know, if you have come across things in a negative way, I don't think there's anything wrong with picking up the phone a day or two later and just saying, hey, listen, just wanted to talk about that conversation that we had. I know I came across really defensive didn't mean to. I was just really needed some time to process. And, you know, I, I'm now very grateful for you bringing that, you know, to me because I know it was a difficult conversation for you. But, you know, I want you to know that I have heard it and I'm, I've listened to what you've said. And these might be my outcomes and my changes in behaviors. That's excellent advice. Excellent advice. And that's not something that's easy to do. However, what I would say is that most people would actually truly love you if you showed your underbelly and your openness about that um, and, and sort of move, moved forward um, because everyone wants to root for somebody who's open and honest and an underdog, so so to speak, and, and actually know that what you said you know, made a difference to them. Yeah, absolutely. That That is great advice. I need to let you get back to your busy day. But before I do, there's one question that I ask everybody, and that is what do you wish you knew before you went into business? So before you went into your project sales business all those years ago, what do you wish you knew then? I think, you know, for me, I was quite young at the time and I was quite a young manager and I had a lot of people around me that were, were significantly older than me. And what I really did was how I managed them was that I thought the, be- the best way to get the best from them was actually to let them, leave them be. Um, however, what I now understand is that you really need to hold people accountable to you no matter what age you are when you're in business and that you really need to understand their process and keep them accountable because at the end of the day, it is your business, it is your name on the door and the buck does stop with you, not the people that you pay. Wow, that's a great response to that question. Not one that I've had from anybody else, but one that resonates for me. So thank you very much. And thank you so much for being, um, as you always are, authentic and open in your conversation. It's really valuable to have people like you that are prepared to share their experiences. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Leanne. Thanks so much for the invite on your podcast. And I can't wait to listen to all of the other wonderful um, conversations. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.